Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 9th, 2016. This is episode 1845 of the Survival Podcast. It's Tuesday, so it's a Just Jack show, and you've got Just Jack today on a subject. Today we're talking about understanding the cutting edge Choosing the right knife for the right environment. And I'm going to talk today about um, six different types of knives. And these are my classifications. They've been used by other people, but um, I'm not claiming that they're the six classifications or anything. In fact, I'll tell you up front today, I do not consider myself a knife expert. I consider myself a guy who likes knives and has used knives his whole life. And I have a bunch of knives in this show that I'm recommending by brand and name. And the reality is I could probably do a show just telling you knives that I like and why that I like them every day for the next month without running out of knives that I like. I, I am not a knife snob in some ways, and in some other ways I am. Um, but I can appreciate a knife for what it is. And that's what I want to get across today. Understanding that different knives play different roles based on what we want them to do. And I'm going to give you the list that I'm working off of of types of knives today. Kitchen knives, tactical knives, utility knives, neck knives, working knives, a.k.a. bushcraft knives, and disposable knives. Yes, disposable knives actually play a role in all this. And you might notice that he didn't say EDC. Well, uh, my neck knife is part of my EDC. I also carry a tactical knife as part of my EDC, and I carry a utility knife as part of my EDC. I don't think EDC is a type of knife. I think EDC is something that you carry, everyday carry, and there are many knives that make good EDC knives, and some that don't. You will notice that I didn't say I make a kitchen knife part of my everyday carry or a disposable knife because I carry utility that I don't consider disposable, only the blade is. What is a disposable knife? You'll hear about them later today and all these other knives. Before we do that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, would you like to do business with other members of the TSP community? If so, check out the TSP Business Directory, the place for our listeners to promote their businesses or find great products and services from other community members. Check there first when you need something, and remember to leave a review when you do business with a member. The directory is all about trust and value for value exchange. Check out tspbiz.com, that's tspbiz.com, to learn more. Hey, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know I love to cook. And my go-to source for spices, seasoning, sauces, and information is Chef Keith Snow's site, HarvestEating.com. Give Chef Keith a try, and you'll see why I use his products at least a few times every single week in my own kitchen. You can learn more at HarvestEating.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1845, because the episode is 1845, and Alex has two for us today. He has the Irish potato famine and the slave state imbalance and a shadow of war. And in other news, the first presidential veto is overridden, first time it ever happened in the United States. On the last day of congressional session, the clock is stopped at midnight, but debate goes on until President Tyler's veto is overridden. 
The new law restricts the president's power to have ships built for the Coast Guard. It's interesting, the first time they overrode a veto, they overrode a veto on the president's power. Gee, I wonder why the president would veto such a thing. Uh, the Salt Hill murder is captured by Telegraph. A suspect was seen on a train station, so the Telegraph is used to signal ahead. The suspect is apprehended as he disembarks. Interesting, isn't it? And the first underseas telegraph cable is laid across the English Channel. Beam me up, Scotty. What is next? I want you to think about this. Is now possible to have instantaneous communication from England to mainland Europe, specifically France? And what this is going to mean for the world as eventually we lay cables across great oceans and larger straits. It is a changing of the world forever. I'm going to read for you today the Irish potato famine because this is one of those lessons I don't know that we've learned yet. It is a warm Irish summer causing the potato crop to sprout early and then a cold spell hits. The crops have survived weather changes in the past, but now the fields are turning brown. A few potatoes are, potatoes are dug up and look fine, but turn to gray mush in storage. Some farmers blame the Lou, Lou locomotive who tracks have been laid nearby, but the potato blight runs far from the tracks. Scientists have no idea how to solve this problem, but it's already too late. Half the, this year's crop is unfit for human consumption. Half a million Irishmen are at risk of starvation and death this year. Famine is nothing new to Ireland under the UK. So Prime Minister Peel dismisses the report. There is such a tendency to exaggeration and inaccuracy in Irish reports that delay in acting on them is always desirable, is a quote from Prime Minister Peel. The limited amount of grain grown in Ireland is shipped out on schedule, leaving little for the Irish to eat. Immigration laws have been liberalized and transportation costs have dropped, so Irish families head for the United States in hope for better days. They are held on Deer Island near Boston until authorities can figure out where to put them. The Irish will set down roots and take up residence. It will be a tough go, but the alternative is hunger, disease, and death in Ireland over the next decade or so. My take by Alex Shrug. Growing a variety of foods is the answer to the danger of a monocrop, so why didn't the Irish do that? The reasons are mostly political, land ownership, absentee farmers, and tenant leasing laws, and Ireland made growing a variety of crops uneconomical. Until when the famine became obvious, the government let business meet the demand. That strategy assumed that the starving had enough money to buy the food. Tariffs on grain imports made food very expensive by law. At this point, government usually claims unregulated capitalism doesn't work. <laughs> you regulate something till it doesn't work and then claim unregulated stuff doesn't work. That's the government for you. In the 1980s, this was called crazy-making. Crazy These days, I think they call it program failure, where a program is designed to fail so the government can provide more services and grow bigger. Those shovel-ready jobs come to mind. The government demands money for infrastructure. The bill passes, a bridge collapses, and the government demands money for infrastructure. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Or, I don't know, the government provides a health care solution that destroys modern health care so that it can then come fix it down the road like some redneck duck farmer told you all the way back in 2009 was the plan. I'm just saying. The more things change, the more they stay the same. It is the uh, the beginning of the large influx of Irish immigrants to the United States, and um, I think we owe a lot to those immigrants. They did a lot for this country. They weren't treated well when we got when they got here. Um, for all of the discussion about um, how bad it is for African Americans in the United States, even after the Civil War, after uh, liberation from slavery, in some ways, Irish immigrants were treated as bad or worse. 
People have prejudice not just because of color of skin or race, but because of anything they perceive different. And it's it's hopefully something we're beginning to move past. And instead of having prejudice, we should just have contempt for people who are assholes. That's my solution to the problem. I do want to say one thing real quick about the slave state imbalance and the shadow war. You might want to read that one, but what's mentioned in Alex's take is that you can feel the nation moving toward the Civil War, which, of course, is about 15 years away at this point. And 15 years seems like a long time in these history segments, but think about this. Survival Podcast is over eight years old. 15 years ago was 2001. 15 years ago was 2001. We all know what happened on September 11th, 2001. Those of you that are in your 30s or older, that probably doesn't feel like that long ago. Think if we were 15 years away from uh, a civil war right now, would we know? Well, at this time, people do kind of know that it's coming. Anyway, with that, um, let's get into the main topic of today's show. Again, I want to talk to you today about knives. Actually, I guess you guys want to talk to me, me to talk to you guys today about knives because you're the ones that chose the subject. And it was one of those things I just threw out there in in the voting. And I will get the voting up for September by probably this weekend uh, with new subjects for you guys to vote on. Remember, you got to go to the forum to vote. You do have to register to vote uh, here. But registering for a forum is a pretty painless process. And the more votes I get, the more I know that I'm doing the right thing. There were some razor-thin margins. I may change up some options or how many subjects people vote on this time around or something like that because there was stuff that was off by points, like a tenth of a point in percentages. Uh, maybe I'm giving too many options and not getting enough uh, disparity between the topics. But this one won handily. It was the, the second most voted on topic. And here's the thing. I, I thought, you know, do I really want to do this? Because, again, as I said in the beginning, I don't consider myself an expert on knives. Um, and I'm not a technical geek on knives either. You, you won't see me making a decision between one knife and the next because one knife weighs a uh, half ounce less than the other. Or one knife is made with steel that's a, a, a fraction of a bit harder or softer than the other. When it comes to knives... There's really two main things I look for above all things. First, does it meet the task at hand? In other words, I'm not going to buy a, a really expensive knife if the purpose of that knife is to throw in my tackle box just so that there's a knife in my tackle box. So that if for whatever reason I'm out fishing and I need a knife and I don't have one, there's a knife. You know, I'm going to use what I call a disposable knife for that. Um, there is no way I'm going to carry a tactical knife that doesn't have an, a blade that's beefy enough that I, I you know, believe that it, if it hits bone instead of deflecting off, it's going to break. If that's the case, it's not a good tactical knife. I, I'm not going to carry a knife if I want something that's a big, heavy chopper that can't do the job. Though I may carry a bushcrafting knife that's not a big, heavy chopper, but I'm going to know that and have another means to that, like a hatchet or something with me if I'm going off and playing in the woods, and I'm carrying, let's say, a more number two, which is a knife I really like. It does a lot of great things, but it's not a chopper, right? I might rely on something like, you know, a buck punk, and I digress. I'm getting ahead with some of the knives that I, that I recommend. Um, I'm not going to make up a leather sheath and carry around my my Santuku friggin' uh, kitchen knife as a tactical knife. Now, that doesn't mean that knife couldn't be a very effective defensive tool if 
somebody broke into your house and you're in your kitchen and that's what's at hand. I mean, a sharp Santuco can cut a throat pretty quickly, but it's not really for that purpose. So I never look at a knife and say, that knife is junk, right? I look at a knife and say, does that knife meet the intended purpose that I am selecting it for? And, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, and another thing I look for is, it, I already kind of alluded to this, but in any situation, it will not break and cause injury. Which means a disposable knife will not get used for tasks that are as rough as a, a big heavy-duty chopping knife. And um, it, it also means that something like a utility knife, there are certain limitations to how I'll be willing to use a utility knife or a razor knife. Because while it can break and while it can uh, slip in certain usages, it has a lot of really great things it's good at. And the blade, because it's a razor blade, is extremely sharp. That's some of the advantages. But if we use it improperly... And, and improperly doesn't mean improper knife use, but improper use of a knife. I want to kind of delineate on that in a second. So what I mean by that is there's certain things that you can do with one knife safely, and with another knife it would be dangerous. For instance, um, I wouldn't try batoning. And if you don't know what batoning is, it's when we want to split a piece of wood to, let's say, make kindling. And we take a, a piece of wood, we stand it up on end, and we put a knife on it. We take another piece of wood, like a baton, and we smack the knife through it to split the wood. I wouldn't try batoning with a fillet knife. That would be a dumb thing. Not only could you, most likely you're going to break your knife, but it could fly up in the air and stick you in the eye. But batoning's not a dangerous thing to do, but some knives are, it's dangerous to do that with them. So that's what I'm looking for. Does it meet the task at hand? And if used for the task at hand, it will not break and cause injury. So cheap knives can only be used for tasks that are relatively safe for any knife to use. For instance, I will fillet some bait when fishing with a Wahoo Killer $1.99 knife. Probably wouldn't baton with that either. That knife might actually stand up to it, but I wouldn't risk it. Again, the primary types of knives I either carry or use are kitchen knives, which obviously get used in the kitchen. Uh, for cooking and preparing food. Tactical knives, which I carry primarily for self-defense and as an everyday carry knife that will get used for anything else that kind of a rough and tough knife would get used for. Though I don't use them for things like opening disgusting tape on boxes and getting tape glue all over them. For that, I use a utility knife. I have a small utility knife that I carry everywhere. Many of you are familiar with it. I'll talk about it in a second. Um, but even if I were out in the garage, if I, for some reason, didn't have my little utility knife in my pocket or whatever, I keep razor knives in the garage, and I pull that out for tasks like that, or cutting cardboard or something like that. Cardboard's something that dulls a knife very, very quickly, and there's no sense in dulling your good knife, cutting up pieces of cardboard, when you can take a, you know, an $8 razor knife with a 50-cent razor blade in it and cut till that blade's you know, dull, flip it around and do it again and throw that blade away and throw another blade in it for 50 cents. It doesn't make sense to spend the time sharpening your good quality knives to use on tasks like that. So I carry utility knives or I have utility knives for things like that. Neck knife is my primary EDC knife. I carry a relatively small neck knife. I carry the Genesis by MT Knives. I have other knives I, I would feel comfortable carrying for that. But this is my go-to knife for all tasks that are not kind of wasteful and disgusting for a good edge of a knife. So I have a tactical knife and a neck knife that I carry at all times with me. Um, I also 
use at times and carry at times working knives and bushcraft knives. And I have several different that I'll recommend today, but I, there's way more than I'll recommend that I, I think are good for the task. These are knives for when we're going out in the woods and we're, we're, we're doing, you know, we're working with wood, for instance, or, uh, we might have to skin a squirrel or something like that. And I, see, I might use the neck knife for that. But there's other things that, that neck knife, I really don't want to be batoning with my neck knife. I just don't. I want to keep my neck knife razor sharp because that's a perfect example. If I'm out in the woods and I'm camping, hanging out, whatever, and I pop a squirrel, that really super sharp neck knife of mine is great to skin that squirrel. I can take a deer apart with that little knife. So I have different uses for those knives, though I would say that when I am taking a deer apart, I'd be more likely to carry some sort of a belt knife, and there's many different options of that as well. Uh, but I'd probably carry the one Patrick's made for me. Um, you know, but those aren't available for sale, so I'm not recommending you buy one today. Um, I also believe in, again, disposable knives, and I'll talk about those in a bit. So let's go through those, and I'll talk about some knives that I recommend. And I, I want to restate this just one more time. When you hear me give you three different Victor Knox knives for the kitchen, I'm not saying that all my knives in my kitchen are Victor Knox, even most of them are. Actually, I chose that because it was a good low price point for kitchen knives. This is a good quality knife. Most of my kitchen knives are either Cutco or Shun. Okay? So, again, I'm just giving you examples, and I'm talking more about the form factor of the knife, and I'm giving you a quality, one example of that form factor and why I like it. So hopefully that makes sense. So I believe in the kitchen, your go-to knife is an 8-inch chef's knife. The 8-inch chef's knife will do perfectly adequately 90% or more of what I'm going to do in the kitchen with a knife. And you'll notice I don't even have a paring knife on my list. That's because I don't make foo-foo little fruity swans out of tomatoes or whatever. And uh, if I'm going to peel something, I use a peeler, not a knife. It's safer, it's faster, it works better, right tool for the right job. So with a chef's knife, whether I'm cutting up, a, let's say I get a great big sirloin, and I want to cut that up, you know a butcher's knife is what people would think to, 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 to work with. Butcher's knives I tend to use when I'm doing work on large whole carcasses, Because of the thicker spine, the upswept blade, you can work in to get in at a, let's say if you're disjointing a back leg off of a, of a deer, that, that pointed blade gets in there. Um, but that's actually a detriment in the kitchen. When you're cutting with a knife in the kitchen, that upswept front, front blade has a tendency to poke you in like your, your non-cutting hand index finger. And when you poke yourself with an upswept blade, instead of getting a poke, you get cut. And, You know, I've, I've almost banished my Cutco butcher knife from the kitchen because twice my wife has not listened to me and cut herself, cutting of all things potatoes both times with a butcher knife. Where with a chef's knife, if we keep the fingers curled back like we're supposed to, you have a lot less t likelihood of hitting yourself with that upswept blade. So it'll do that. So we can certainly take a big sirloin that's too big to cook as a single steak and we want to cut it in individual sections. And that chef's knife will do a great job. It'll slice up a tomato. It'll dice a pepper. It'll do all of that stuff. It'll dice an onion. It will really do everything you need. If, if you said, Jack, you can only have one knife in the kitchen, I would say, great, I want a chef's knife. I can bone with it. I can chop with it. I can do anything. And Victor Knox makes a really great um, 
chef's knife, 8-inch. It's 32 bucks on, on Amazon. And I have links to every knife. They're not all on Amazon. Some of them are made by custom makers, like some stuff by Patrick. Uh, some are available only through certain sellers. Uh, some are available on Amazon, but I'm going to give you a place to get them for a better price. This one's on Amazon, 32 bucks, free shipping on Prime, 8-inch. They also make this knife in a, uh, a smaller 6-inch uh, size. I don't really see a lot of use for that because of the second knife I'm going to give you. But that chef's knife profile, and with your, your kitchen knives, you want a, 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 a very um, fine, not a fine edge, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you're, you want a very uh, steep angle on your blade. So if you think of putting your hands together like you're praying with your fingers up, and if you, if you pull them out to about 45 degrees, that would be a rather shallow angle. Uh, that would be more like a chisel point, right? And as you, as you bring your hands to where your palms are coming back together, the angle of your edge gets shallower and shallower. And the shallower the angle, the easier it is to get it very, very, very sharp. And if you don't let it actually get dull and you maintain it with something like a steel, it's very easy to keep it very, 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 think, hair shaving with no effort, sharp. However, when you have that shallow angle, if you have that for like a working knife, something you're going to be working, you know, making a, a figure four trap with sticks in the woods, it will dull very quickly because that, that angle is so, uh, so steep that the blade is thin for a long distance versus coming too thin and then getting relatively steep. So with your kitchen knives, you want that steep angle to your blade. And that's very easy to maintain with uh, a steel. Just kind of aside there. The, the other knife that I, I really like for the kitchen is a Santuku knife. And again, Victor Knox makes a, a really great one. And it has a, a blade that's called a Granton Edge. And a Granton Edge simply means there's little ripples in the blade. So when you're cutting certain foods that tend to stick to the side of your blade, it is less likely to stick and more likely to release. And, and, and that is, that's, that's fine and all. I don't necessarily need that in a knife. A lot of times, actually, if I'm chopping peppers or something, and you know, they kind of stick to the edge, I kind of work the knife so I get as many stuck to as possible. And then instead of scooping them up with a knife, I just hold the knife over the pan and just drop them in, uh, without actually having to scoop them up. Um, but that granted edge is, is nice when you're cutting things like tomatoes or cheeses or stuff like that. The reason I like a Santuku, and if you're not familiar with a Santuku, imagine you take a chef's knife and bring it back from, you know, eight inches to seven or six, depending on the profile. And then that nice pointed long point, you just kind of make this drop over kind of like a sheep's foot, uh, pattern. And you have a very straight edge. It doesn't curve. It curves a little bit, but not much. So they're great for chopping. Uh, rather than just holding the handle, this is a great knife to kind of move up on. Thumb and forefinger on the blade just in front of the handle and do that, that up and down chop. They're a little bit smaller than a chef's knife. A lot of times if I'm doing something like chopping an onion or a pepper or something like that, instead of grabbing the chef's knife, I grab the Santuku. By the way, I keep my knives on a magnetic knife holder in the kitchen, not in a drawer. And you really should keep your knives either in a, your kitchen knives a wooden block or on a magnetic strip. And if you do a magnetic strip, kind of go from the, put the back of the knife to the strip first and let it come down to the edge. 
Don't just lay it up there flat because you're going to be likely to kind of tink the edge and, and, and knock your edge down. So the Santuku is more of that chopping knife. It's also when I'm not doing a lot of work and I don't need the bigger knife, I'll just go to the smaller knife because it's convenient. It also is a, a much safer knife even than the chef's knife. Not only does it not have the upswept edge, it doesn't really have that direct point of the chef's knife. So that, that point can be useful for some work, but it also can stab you. Where if you stab yourself with a Santuku, you were really being not good with your knife skills. All right, so Santuku. The, the only other kitchen knife I really see a need for, I'm not saying not a use for, but a need for, is a good boning knife. And I'm, I just decided to go all Victor Knox here with my recommendations because they make such good affordable knives. Um, they have a nice boning knife that um, will do like everything you would ever need a boning knife for, which, of course, obviously boning is one of those things. And I said I can bone with a chef's knife. I can, but I can bone meat a lot better with that thin blade of the boning knife. Now, some would say, well, what about a fillet knife? Fillet knives work great for this, too. The uh, the, the Victor Knox uh, classic six-inch boning knife is a pretty serviceable fillet knife as it is, though. It's kind of like in between. It's quite, not quite as thin as a fillet, but it will do the job very well on appropriately sized fish. Where I really like to get down to using a boning knife versus something like um, using the Santuca or whatever isn't so much when I'm burning, boning large cuts of meat, but when I'm doing something like, like taking half of a breast off the side of a chicken or if I'm doing chicken thighs. Like when, when my wife's going to get chicken thighs, I always get, get skin and bone on. One way or another, I'm going to use them. But one of the ways I cook chicken thighs is I debone them. I take those bones out, I throw them in a bag, and I put them in the freezer. Those are for when I make chicken stock. Okay, Leave the skin on, and then I take a jalapeno, cut it into quarters, put a quarter and then some garlic inside the, the chicken thigh, and wrap that up, and then wrap that in bacon and cook it kind of with a, with a base of uh, Worcestershire soy and beer, soy sauce and beer. And... A boning knife is just a better tool for that job. I also have a lot of like the uh, the more number twos and stuff like that. I'll pull one of those out for that job as well. Um, don't really need a specialized boning knife. I'd like to have a smaller knife. But if you're going to have a knife dedicated for that task, then a boning knife is really a good way to go. So that kind of wraps up the kitchen world. Tactical knives. When it comes to tactical knives... I have mixed emotions about the entire subject. When you say tactical to me, I think immediately self-defense. Um, and I've trained a lot with a knife to know how to be good with a knife for self-defense and for uh, using on another human being. I actually think the odds of me ever actually using a knife against someone uh, are quite low. I am more likely to use a firearm And I actually think the odds of me ever actually using a firearm are quite low. However, I do own guns, and I do carry because the possibility exists. Okay? And the possibility that a knife may be a go-to tool exists. And the reality is there are places where I'm not willing to risk a felony conviction for carrying a gun. And... Unlike some businesses that I can just say, well, I won't patronize them, at times I have to go places where I can't carry a gun. They have, in Texas, we call it 3006 and 3007. And those that they have to be specific signs. You can't just put up a sign that says no guns. 
Now, many businesses put up a sign that says the unlicensed possession of a handgun is a felony here, or you're not allowed to carry a gun without a license. That's fine, because you're not supposed to be carrying in this state without a license anyway. So that, that, that sign means nothing to me. And a sign that says no guns with an arrow through it, or you know, gun-free zone, if it doesn't say 30.06 or 30.07, I don't care. In this state, 30.06 applies to concealed carry. 30.07 applies to open carry. And if I have to go somewhere and not carry, then at least I'm not completely unarmed if I have a knife. What I'm looking for in a tactical knife is a knife that's quick to deploy and will do the job effectively. And probably my overall favorite knife for tactical application for that need is the Columbia River M21 14SF. This is a big knife that carries like a small knife. It's an all-metal frame. It's an upswept blade with a deep point. It has a small amount of serrated edge at the back, so if you're cutting, if you're using it for cutting some rope or something like that, instead of messing up that perfect edge, you can come back to that serrated edge and use that back there. That's what it's there for. Um, it, it gives you a lot of options. The first thing I like about it is the handle is dead solid in the hand. It's, it's a clip pocket carry folder. It can be opened against the back of the pocket and deploy on open, or it can be drawn without doing that, and it still has a really great thumb actuator where you can open it with your thumb. There's a couple schools of thought on the pocket deployment method of knives. One is it's a bad idea because the pocket deployment, with everything except something I'll talk about in a second, when you go to draw that knife, you have to be moving your hand backwards and then forwards. Well, if you're using a knife for defense... That means you have a threat that's imminently coming after you, and as you as you go backwards with the knife, you're becoming more, not less vulnerable, and you have to make that movement forward. The other negative is fine motor skills, and that's true in any situation, but when you're trying to deploy a knife with a pocket-open device using fine motor skills, in a situation where you feel you need to use lethal force. And trust me, I've been in situations where I haven't had to use lethal force, but things were very, very serious. And if you haven't been in those, you have no idea how your body's going to react. You really don't. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's, 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 it's somewhat invigorating and it's somewhat terrifying. And there, the, the, the chance of fine motor skills shut down unless it's drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled and then drilled some more and then drilled some more. And then when you know you have it, you keep doing it because you'll lose it if you stop. It is really there. So if you're going to rely on that, what I like about the, the Columbia River knife, the M21, and variants thereof, is you do not have to use that deployment method, but it's there if necessary. And there may be situations where you might have to deploy a knife that way. Because you're being pushed to the ground, and all you can do is reach around back and grab the knife as you're defending yourself from some sort of attack. And it might be advantageous. Also, just from a standpoint of usability, when you're EDCing that knife, everyday carrying that knife, and you need to pull it out and, and cut something with it, it's there. And yet, you don't have to use it. I also like the length of the blade. It's, it, it's, it's a serious piece of steel. And the width of the blade. If I ever have to stab somebody with a knife or cut somebody with a knife, 
because of a threat to my life. I want it to do maximum damage. I really do. And and this is the knife that I've found out of everything I've looked at that I think is capable of that and still carries like a small knife. When you put this knife in your pocket, it's like it's not there. And overall, in spite of some of the things I'm about to say about some other really interesting knives, and a knife that I'm actually carrying now over my Columbia River, I think if I were ever going to go somewhere where I really felt endangered and couldn't carry a gun, or even if I could carry a gun as a knife as a backup, this would be my go-to knife. Because I wanted to give you more than one option, the other knife that I really like for many of the same reasons, though it is not a pocket-deployable knife, and some of you may prefer it because then you're not tempted to rely on it, Okay, is the Cold Steel Recon 1. It's also a spear point shape. It is a little bit of a smaller knife, costs a little more money. Um, the Columbia River knife is $66 with shipping free on Amazon. I think it's also, in tactical knives, one of the best buys out there. I think it's one of the, that, that's why it's, it's something I prefer so much. My original one came to me from Robert over at Ready Made Resources. He said, I'm going to send you this knife, but I want you to check it out. And I don't even think he carries it anymore, but that was it. I was hooked on it. And uh, it's just an outstanding knife. The value ratio is huge. Um, when deployed, it's a nine and a quarter inch overall knife. Moving to the cold steel, it's actually a more expensive knife. And um, it's, it's about the same length, a little bit shorter. Um, it has a really great handle. And, and that if there's any place that the, that the Columbia River knife is short on is how well you're going to be able to grip that handle if it's wet, if it's bloody, if it's something like that. It's, it's pretty damn solid. But the, the G10 uh, on the handle of this cold steel is so rough and so tough you, you, if you slip on it, you're gonna. It, it'll look like somebody rubbed your hands down with 60 grit uh, sandpaper. It would take that to to move. It really has a great grip, and again, pocket deploy forward. So let's talk a little bit about that right now. The school of thought that is against the pocket open is that if you're pulling the knife forward between the time, so now I'm going forward. Now I'm I'm going into the threat, and I have plenty of time to deploy that with a thumb as the knife goes into the threat. Okay. Again, though, that's a fine motor skill. So I kind of, that's why I prefer the Columbia River over this one, though they're both fine knives, and I own both of them. Um, I have either of those deployment methods. What you'll see is I don't have a fixed blade tactical knife in my list. I own some. I consider one of the knives I'm going to give you for bushcrafting a fixed blade tactical knife. But... I don't put them in that category for the show because, personally, I never carry them that way. Uh, they, to me, they don't carry as concealable. Um, the reason I would ever rely on one anyway is because I can't carry a gun. That probably means that I don't need to be walking around with a, you know, a belt knife. I have uh, the scaled-down version, the Marine Corps uh, K-Bar knife, uh, the old one with the rubber, uh, the leather uh, handle. Uh, I love that knife, but I mean, if I wear that knife to a store, so I get odd looks from people, and I prefer not to be looked at. I don't mean like some weird thing where I don't want you to look at me because uh, it bothers me. I mean, if you're looking at me that way, that means the people that I don't want to look at me are looking at me that way. Where a clip knife in your pocket is something so common that no one really cares. No one really looks at it as anything odd, and that's why I prefer these knives. 
One tip I have for the Cold Steel Recon 1 and the next two knives I'm about to give you. Anything that has a really aggressive G10 handle and is a clip pocket carry knife, one of the things that you can do is you remove that clip. Usually it's Allen key. So you take that clip off. And then right where the clip contacts the handle, take some sandpaper or a wheel on your Dremel tool and smooth it off. Not the whole handle, just the point of impact between the clip and the handle. And that way it will draw from the pocket smooth and clean. It won't hang up on you. That, that tip right there, if you ever do need to rely on it, could save your life. The next two knives that I have, I, I really like these knives, and I really love training with them. I do worry a little bit about fine motor coordination. Both of these are made by Fox, um, and I don't have links to uh, Amazon because the place to get them is ultimateknife.com. Uh, one is the Fox Dark Knife, and the other is the Fox 599 Karambit. I got introduced to the Karambit not that many years ago at a workshop here at TSP Ranch, Nine Mile Farm, and somebody I was doing a trade which was for some consulting, and I ended up deciding I was just going to give everybody that bid, everybody wins, everybody gets some consulting. And one guy put, or actually it was, I think it was $100 off the next event, whatever it was. It was something I gave away to everybody that bid on it. I do that on occasion. It'd be nice. And one guy put down a knife that was a Karambit knife. wasn't either one of these. But I looked at it, and, thought, eh, you know, and I figured it was like a $30 knife. I looked at it, it was like a $120 knife. And I looked at it, and a karambit, if you've never seen one, the handle is meant to be held inverted. So think of the, the classic you know, guy that's trying to look like a badass, and he's holding a knife in his fist with the blade coming out the bottom and the edge forward. But it has a, a, a hole, a ring, that the index finger goes through, and the blade itself is curved. And I was, you know, like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I started looking into some things, and I found a guy named Doug Marcardia, who's a Kali expert. Kali is Filipino martial arts. And I have an affinity for Kali because the style that I studied as a, a kid under Lee Barden, uh, called Lissados Do, uh, is heavily influenced by Kali with uh, ratios uh, relating to what they call clock method in Kali. They're very similar, and there's a, a flow to it, and... Uh, So I look at Doug McCardia with this Karambit, and the man is just deadly. Just absolutely deadly, incredibly fast. And so I picked up the 599 Karambit, the dark knife, which I'm going to talk about in a second, wasn't made yet. And uh, I picked up the knife, I picked up the trainer, and I picked up the DVD that comes with it. All in all, it was in like 200 bucks on it or more, and uh, maybe 300 and something bucks to get all of that. And uh, the trainer's exact same weight. It's orange, soft edge, you know, won't, won't cut. And I recommend if you're going to train with either of these knives, you, you buy the trainer too, even though it's an, a significant investment. And I started working with it, and it, be, it was incredibly easy to learn. Now, given I have some martial arts background, that may have made it easier, but it was incredibly easy to learn and use. However, some of the, the fancy stuff, the flailings, Kind of the hookbacks where they take the knife and slide it forward and draw the knife back across someone. While easy to learn and, and far more effective when you train with a trainer and a partner than you would expect, um, again, we're back to fine motor skills. So I, I really don't know yet that I would choose either one of these weapons. However, in the right hands, I think they're actually the most deadly type of knives you can carry, karambit or a karambit variant. The other Karambit, they call it Karambit variant, uh, is the 
the dark version. The dark is basically a short bladed karambit without a, it's got a straight instead of a curved blade with a tanto point. And, uh, that is a knife that Doug worked with the guys at Fox to design. It solves some problems. One problem with the karambit is it's very difficult to sharpen because of the curved blade. Uh, when you try to do it on a stone, it actually cuts into the stone. And it, it, it's difficult to sharpen. Patrick Rohrman, who is a master, had a hard time sharpening a karambit. Um, so that's part of it. And then the other problem is, unless you drill with it a lot, you have a pretty good propensity to cut yourself with it. Where the, the dark, the straight action, direct, ans, uh, direct action response knife, I think is what dark stands for, um, is incredible. I'll include a link in the show notes today for some of Doug Marcardia's videos with him using these knives. And you'll see why I'm such a fan of them. But as much as I'm a fan, I go back to fine motor skills, simplicity in a life-threatening situation being better. I'm probably going to carry my Columbia River M21 if I'm actually worried about having to use it. Now, what I like about the Fox Knives, uh, either the Dark or the Karambit, they are pretty easy to draw without deploying the knife. Using them as an impact tool in a non-lethal situation, they are extremely effective. You would not believe the amount of pain you can cause with one of these knives with a simple flail um, across, let's say, the back of a hand. I mean, you can probably, I would, I would reckon you can crack metatarsals with it. Uh, and there's many other impact ways. And that's the one thing I like. I don't see the Cold Steel of the Columbia River, anything like them, as being good tools in a non-lethal situation. So what what the dark gives me, and I've gone to the dark over the Karambit for everyday carry, is the ability to not draw my gun and to technically not draw a knife. A knife's not a knife until a blade comes out. And I've gotten really good at drawing the dark without deploying the blade. And you can actually, again, we're back to fine motor skills, but you can actually deploy the blade, if necessary, off your attacker. And I'll let the videos for Doug McCarty speak for themselves. But those are the four tacticals that I wanted to mention today. But in the end, I'm back to a straight blade, long blade, thick blade, sharp blade, good handle, and the, the best use of a knife in a life-and-death situation is into the abdomen, into the chest cavity, or the throat with a straight stab or a slicing blow. And uh, as good as these little uh, Karambit-style knives are, um, maybe I just don't have enough years of experience with them yet to really rely on them. Um, I think there's something really special about them, though. So um, next up, utility knives. Uh, I kind of mentioned this. To me, a utility knife is something that you use for cutting material that you... Uh, that you, you would not want to take an expensive or a good quality knife that you're going to rely on for tactical situations, for fine detail work or something like that, like cutting boxes apart or cutting open boxes, cutting through tape, stuff like that. I carry Gerber EAB Lite. Um, it is a little, it looks like a money clip. It is tiny. It holds a standard razor knife uh, blade, and uh, you can buy you know 100 razor knife blades for 10 bucks. And uh, I've talked about this a lot, so I'll go quick on it. But I carry that in my pocket. I carry it in the pocket that I don't carry my tactical knife in, so the two do not kind of corrupt each other, get in the way of each other. If I'm reaching for that knife, I don't need it quick. This is like, okay, i got to open this box from Amazon. Pull that out, boom, open it up. Blade gets all nasty, corroded, taped. Either flip it around because the other side ain't been used yet or throw it away. Um, and it's the reason I carry that knife, it is the most compact 
thing like it that I also consider safe. Now, I do not consider this safe for like, let's say you were cutting carpet and you put it on the ground and you had a two by four and you're cutting a straight edge on a piece of carpet to recarpet your house or a boat or something like that where you have to put down a lot of pressure because it's small. For that, I'm going to use your standard, you know, Stanley Fat Max or whatever from Walmart or Home Depot or whatever. And I, I didn't even include that with a link because you guys know what that is, right? That's what I keep out in the garage. This is for the little detail work and stuff like that. By the way, they're great for skinning a squirrel if you skin with the back method. Back method for skinning a squirrel, you get your dead squirrel, and about the middle of the back, you pull the skin up off the spine, you cut a hole in it, and you start pulling in both directions. And you just kind of pull it out, and then when you get it up to a certain point, you kind of grab the front feet, you stand on the, the back feet, and you pull it apart. I have to do a video someday how to do that. Uh, but it's really easy and really quick. And I wasted a lot of time in my youth skinning squirrels like, like a small deer instead of using that method. So they're just sharp as a, as a razor, so they're good for that. Um, but the EAB is my everyday carry one. I finally found one that I like almost as much, but it's not as small. But it carries about like a small pocket knife. And if you wanted something a little beefier than the EAB, it's made by Klein Tools. It's the Klein Tools 44131 folding utility knife. Most of the folding utility knives that I have seen, the way that the blade is held in, I'm not real confident in the ability of that blade to stay where it belongs. I've had them come loose, and I don't like it. The, the Klein has a, a slip lock that pulls one direction, then the whole thing pulls apart the other direction. It's pretty damn secure. The only re, and I found some other knives like it. Husky makes one very similar to the Klein. They're about the same price. Klein, it, anybody that's been in the, in the, like, telecommunications industry, um, for instance, cabling industry knows Klein is one of your top tool manufacturers. Klein doesn't put their name on something unless it's top notch. And in this case, top notch costs 15 bucks. And that's why I think it's worth more, it's, it's worth the difference compared to something like the Husky equivalent or something like that. Um, so the Klein 441 folding utility knife, I would put this in the same category as the EAB with a little bit more stiffness and body, but takes up more space in the pockets. And I just don't see it as being important enough to me to carry it. If I'm that worried, I'll pull my neck knife off or, or, or something like that. Uh, or if it's, you know, cutting cardboard boxes into pieces for mulch or something, I'll go out in the garage and, and get, you know, your standard utility knife. But I could see carrying this. And if the EA, here's why I have it. Some of you may think the eBay, EAB is a little bit small. You may be kind of put off by the fact that about once a year you'll replace it because the little clip on the back will break off and you're willing to carry a bigger uh, tool for the same purpose, the Klein Tools tool will give you exactly what you're looking for uh, in that. So that's why it was there. And if I, if, if, if Gerber stopped making the EAB and I couldn't get the EAB, I would, I would probably switch to the Klein, even though it's a little heavier than I like. And, and I'd write hate mail to Gerber until they brought the EAB back. Um, neck knives. I don't think there's anything more useful to the homesteader the bushcrafter, the tactically-minded person, etc., than the neck knife. When we talked tactical knives a bit ago, I talked about it mainly from a self-defense standpoint, but tactical can be things like uh, being in a car wreck, needing to get out of the car, and you can't undo the seatbelt for some reason, and cutting yourself free. That neck knife's right there. When you carry a neck knife, you start relying on it at an extremely high level because it's always within reach, and it's always one-hand deployable, 
And there is no fine motor skill to, to the one-hand deployment. If you can pull it out, it comes out as, a, you know, it's not a folder. And you might imagine my go-to neck knife is made by Patrick Rorman at MT Knives. It's not cheap. It's the Genesis, the MT Knives Genesis. I have some knives that he's made me, neck knives, that are $500 and more knives. I actually prefer to carry the Genesis because it is so small and flat. What I want in a neck knife, when I wear it around my neck and I put it under my shirt, I want to forget that it's there other than occasionally I remember feeling, so, oh, yeah, that's my neck knife, and I know it's there anyway. Um, I want to walk past somebody on the street who even kind of looks me over to think, is that guy armed? And I want them to not, even if they notice the little clip on my side carrying a knife in my pocket, I want them to not even think that I'm carrying on my chest. I don't want it to print. And that's what the Genesis gives me. Uh, the base Genesis is $149. It's available at mtknives.net. Uh, it is a extremely high-performance steel that it's made with. It's called XHP, and it is probably the best stainless steel you can get on the market right now. And that's part of its premium. The other part of its premium is while these knives are not custom forged by Patrick, they're kind of cut on a machine and what have you, they're hand finished by Patrick or, or one of his people. Uh, th these knives come to you with a, uh, when, I, when I talk about being a snob because of Patrick, you know what I used to consider sharp, I now consider an okay edge. And what I used to consider an okay edge, I now consider dull. Because Patrick taught me what sharp really was. I have never seen anybody put an edge on a knife like Patrick Rorman. These knives, he has a philosophy. If you don't want something cut with it, don't touch it with the edge. And he's serious. Uh, it's amazing what his knives can do. That's why you're paying $149 for basically a piece of steel in the shape of a knife with a custom handmade um, uh, what am I, sheath that hangs around your neck. Another thing with neck knives, it's very important to me. Very, very important to me. The sheath must hold the knife perfectly 100% of the time. This is so important. When I first started playing around with neck knives, the idea came to me that maybe this would be a good thing. Cold Steel had a knife that they don't make anymore. They may not make it anymore because I personally made sure I got a hold of Lynn, who's the owner of Cold Steel, and balled him out for this knife. It was uh, VG12 steel. It was nice steel. Uh, it was a rubber handle, uh, full tang, meaning that the blade went all the way to the end of the handle inside it. And it was a thin knife. It was much more like a kitchen knife than a tactical knife, which is why I liked it. I, and I thought it was great. It came with a nice plastic sheath and a chain. I put it on, and it seemed nice and secure. And one day I drove somewhere in my truck, And I took my seatbelt off, and I got out of my truck, and my knife fell out from under my shirt onto the ground in front of me. Because while I was driving, the knife released, and it was sitting next to my belly with the blade against my stomach while I'm driving my truck. I don't think I need to explain why that's a problem, but I could have been killed by my own knife in that situation. Okay, So that made me, when I was first approached by Patrick Rohrman about owning a neck knife, Like, okay, but here's what you... So when he brought me with the first one and I looked at how he makes his sheaths and how they work, I was like, yeah, okay, we, we can do this. You know, he sold me on that level of quality. I, it, it, it makes no sense to carry a knife that's a danger to yourself just by carrying it. And some neck knives out there, that's exactly what they are. 
You know, it, it really isn't. Think about the concept of having a knife drop and be under your shirt laying against your stomach and getting in a car wreck, for instance. Um, a bad situation worse, no doubt. If 150 bucks, or depending on if you want, you know, a, a coating on it or something like that, a little bit more is, is a bit high for you for a neck knife. Patrick makes another uh, version of the Genesis called the Genesis 2. This is made with um, N690 steel, I think is what it is. N690, if that's right, it's either N690 or N680. N690 is a steel that's used often to make surgical instruments for surgeons, right? So a, a scalpel that a surgeon uses to perform cardiothoracic surgery uh, would be made from N690 quite often. It's a very uh, small source steel, and uh, I believe it's from Switzerland, if I remember right. It is an outstanding knife. It is not XHP steel, right? But it's a good steel. It's, it's better than 95% of the knives you will find the steel used to make them, including knives that are far more expensive. Patrick really looked for a, a more affordable steel, but one that, you know, would let him give you the same, almost same level of performance as XHP. So for 50 bucks less, you can get the Genesis 2. If I was going to buy a neck knife, I would, I would actually, you know, no, it doesn't matter that Patrick's a friend, I would go down to those two and say, you know, If, if money's tight, buy the Genesis 2, you'll be happy. Seriously. Now, I wanted to make sure that I did give another option in this because Patrick is a friend, and uh, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't letting that get in the way from recommending a decent neck knife. The best low-cost neck knife, and it's not cheap, but it is about 45 bucks less than a Genesis 2, is the SE Azula. Um... I was impressed enough with this knife that back when we had the first gear shop, many of you have not been around to know about this, but um, uh, Tiffany and Rich Rockwell ran the first gear shop. Kelly John Doe runs the current one, and they were looking for products to add. They talked to Azula. Azula sent me an example of the knife, and the knife actually has an ant on it. So that was like destiny, right? Uh, the Etsy Azula has a, uh, an ant on the knife. It is similar in shape and form to Patrick's knives, uh, the Genesis. It's not the same, but it's similar. It's about the same size. It's the same type of knife in, in the sense that it is um, just straight steel, uh, flat, uh, no handles or anything to get in the way. It makes it carry really nicely. You know, the other thing that I like about it is it does have, you know, it's a mass market sheath, but it's a good sheath. It's a good, secure locking sheath. Uh, I carried uh, that knife for a long time until Patrick, you know, made me my first neck knife from him. Um, I gave that knife to my intern, Josiah. He carried that for about six, eight months uh, while he was working here before he ended up getting one from Patrick as well. And uh, I, never in all of that time, and we're talking several years of being carried, and I don't know, maybe I bartered it to, to be nice. To, I probably bartered it, or it's laying around here. I guarantee it, it's probably not failed yet. So, you know, 65 bucks, uh, 63 bucks, something like that on Amazon Prime for the Azula. I have a link in the show notes. Again, I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm dead honest here, right? And think about this. Patrick is my friend, and I did help Patrick get his business started. But if Patrick sells you a Genesis or a Genesis 2, I don't get a damn thing. If you go to, to, to Amazon and buy the SE Azula for 65 bucks, I get a commission from Amazon. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, 
I would save up and buy the Genesis. In fact, we have the Genesis available at the TSP Gear Shop as well. I'll make sure there's a link to that as well um, because you can get it from the Gear Shop. And people say, well, Jack, you make money from your Gear Shop. I haven't taken a dive from the Gear Shop in years, guys. Uh, that's Kelly's operation. I, I have him run that Gear Shop so that that stuff's available for you guys. The last time he tried to pay me, I told him, you know, we'll settle up sometime in the future, and I have no real intention of doing it. Um, the Gear Shop is... Uh, a service to the community. So I would, regardless of where you get it, I would get a Genesis because it's a better knife. It's a better knife. And it, it would, I would make a profit by telling you to buy the less expensive one. That's as, that's as honest as a man can ever be right there. But again, what I'm looking for in a neck knife, small, compact, safe. High-performance steel, good, sharp edge, minimalist. Right? I'm not looking for big, thick, paracord wraps and all kinds of crap like you see in camp. I want a minimalist thing. Now, I do have actually the Genesis I'm carrying from Patrick right now does have the CNC milled handles on it, the scales, and they're very thin, and I like those. I like those a lot. You're going to pay you know, an upcharge to get that done, um, but it, is, it, it might be worth it. But they're done in a very thin format. They're not a thick, heavy format, so it maintains that, that nice carry. That's what I want out of my neck knife. I would also tell you, if you're going to carry a neck knife, learn to draw it and learn to put it back with one hand. That's what makes it, and I know people think they're going to cut themselves or stab themselves. If you think about what you're doing, and you kind of put the tip in, you wiggle it, and you get the knife up to the point where it needs, and then you kind of turn it up and you push it in against your chest, you're less likely to cut yourself than grabbing it with your hand and shoving the blade in. Um, that was something I did learn from Patrick. And uh, people see me do it now, oh, you're going to stab yourself. No, no, no. No, you're going to cut yourself. You're going to cut yourself. I'm not going to stab myself. It's not like, it looks kind of quick, but it's only from doing it so many times. You're actually feeling, again, it's kind of a weird thing. Maybe I'll do a video on that as well. Patrick, you should do a video on this. Um, One-handed deployment and return of the neck knife. Anyway, let's move on. For a working knife, uh, bushcraft-style knife, something that I'm going to go out and do crafts and projects with or, or you know, like I said, make a, make a deadfall trap out of or a figure four trap out of or something like that, um, my kind of go-to knife for fine work like that is the Mora Number no. 2. The Mora Number no. 2 is $17, and I've talked to knife makers, including Patrick, that go, I can't make that knife for what they sell it for. In other words, I can't buy the materials to make that knife for what it's sold for. Nobody's really sure how Mora managed to do it other than pure volume and, and, and making those same knives for that long. Uh, Mora makes some other, you know, more bushcrafty knives with rubber handles and whatever, but for the type of work that small knife does well, uh, Mora number two does everything. And Mora number twos are a fun knife to play with. You can get yourself a little butane torch. You can burn the, uh, the finish off the handle. Uh, you can stain it. You can put some little wire gizmos on it. You can have a lot of fun making it your own. And if you screw one up, you're out 17 bucks. It's a good steel. It's a good quality steel. And it's an appropriately sized knife for that type of work. So when I'm looking for a knife for that type of work that is small for the finer work, again, like making uh, trap triggers or something like that, um, I want a steel that's actually pretty easy to sharpen. And the Mora number two is a very easy steel. It's a carbon steel to sharpen. Uh, my inkling with the uh, number two, because it will rust so easily, if, if not really, you know, maintained anally with, you know, oil and stuff. And if you're out for a couple of days, that doesn't happen usually, uh, is to patina the blade using vinegar 
And there's a couple different ways to do that. One is to simply put it in a jar and kind of hold it above the jar so you don't want it to get up onto the hilt and soak into the wood, but so that whole blade's under vinegar. And it almost looks like it's an electroplating. It'll start at the tip and it'll slowly work its way up. It'll put a beautiful dark gray patina on it, and that will really help it from rusting. Or you can just soak uh, vinegar in a paper towel and wrap that around the blade and patina that, and it makes a great knife. The downside of the more number two, the sheath is garbage. The sheath is garbage. The sheath is garbage. I would say this, except for a few of the upper end, like $100 plus Moras, all Mora knives come with sheaths that are garbage. They're junk. Fortunately, in our TSP gear shop, we have a sheath that you can buy uh, for the Mora number two that is incredible. It's it's handmade Kydex. Um, it, you can reconfigure it a couple different ways. It holds the knife very, very securely. It costs twice as much as the knife. But a lot of people at the bottom have said, you know what, I lose knives. I don't lose sheaths. So carry a $17 knife with a good sheath, and if you lose the knife, you just replace the knife. And if you're going to lose a knife, it's going to be a knife like that. That's the kind of knife you use bushcrafting and you're out camping and, and what have you. It's the kind of knife you, you tend to set down and lose. Um, and the reality is if you want a sheath like this, that's what it takes to do it. We have a guy that makes them uh, from a small business in his house. And just with materials and time and him selling them to Kelly and then Kelly resell them, it's just what we have to sell them at to be able to make enough profit to make it worth doing. That's just the cost of doing business there. Uh, but the more number two... When it comes to a bigger knife for the woods and a chopping knife, I'll admit I'm biased. I had a great friend that many of you know, many of you probably don't, named Ron Hood. Ron was a person I met for the first time in 2010, and for several years we maintained a friendship that rapidly went from knowing each other as acquaintances to viewing each other as brothers. Unfortunately, a few years ago, Ron passed away, um, laying next to his wife in bed of a heart attack, uh, in his, his 60s, uh, after having successfully battled cancer and believing himself to have got through that, and I think he had, and uh, whether it was complications from that or it was just something happening, you know, that from cancer or just sometimes people just have heart attacks, or Ron always felt that his health issues were from Agent Arms exposure. He spent several tours in Vietnam with the ASA. You can look up that if you want to know what that is. Um, and... Uh, he was exposed many times to Agent Orange, and he believed his cancer and other health problems that he dealt with were from that probably were. But he came out with several knives. He started with Tops, and eventually it went over to be something that was being manufactured at a level that Tops knives couldn't keep up with, and he moved his manufacturing with Buck knives. And I believe the guy from Tops knives still makes a royalty on all the knives because he actually was the designer in conjunction with Ron. And Karen continues this, and there's there's two that came out. Uh, before Ron passed away. The first was the Hoodlum, and the second was the Punk. The Hoodlum is a really big knife. Uh, the Punk is a much more, what I would call, reasonably sized knife. And it was the second knife to come out, and it's the one I own. And uh, it's the one that I recommend. It's kind of that all-around bushcrafting knife that you can chop with, you can you can baton with. It is a wonderful knife. The knife's about 11 inches overall and around 5 and a half ish uh, blade length. I don't keep specs in my head. Again, I'm not a, a knife geek. I worry more about the form, fit, and function of the knife. Um, what impresses you about this knife, for a knife that's so sizable, it's very lightweight. It's like 7.4, 7.5, something like that ounces. And the way the handle's designed, 
it's a, a a really rough. It's like a I don't know if it's G10. It's a it's a it's a very um, grippy handle, and it's held in place with Allen screws. And if you take them off, you'll notice that the while the knife itself is full tang, the blade itself has uh, the tang itself has hollow spots. And these were designed specifically in their shape so that when you're holding this knife and you're chopping with it, it reduces vibration. It chops very, very smooth, very little recoil to the chop. That makes it safer. Most people, when they get cut chopping with a knife, they don't get cut with the chop. They get cut with they chop and it bounces and it hits them, right? Um, the Hoodlum is a bigger knife and something you might want to consider. I personally prefer the Punk. I am not big on carrying really, like, almost machete-length blades. But this is a great knife, in spite of the fact that Ron it was was such a great friend, and I I keep a bottle of something I despise in this house for Ron. It's uh, Bombay Sapphire Gin. I can't stand this stuff. I don't like gin to begin with, but that stuff, it, no. Ugh, I know it's supposed to be the best, but no. And uh, that was his his drink, and I keep that here. But I'm not recommending this knife because of all those things. I'm recommending this knife because it's just so damn good. And it's also affordable, 119 bucks and free shipping on Amazon Prime, so you can get them there. Uh, it does support his wife, Karen, and his son uh, as they continue his legacy with survival.com and the forums over there and everything else. And uh, But I'll tell you a story about this. So I, w I saw Karen for the first time after Ron passed away about six months after at SHOT Show. And uh, we were talking to her and some of her folks, and... You know, it was one of her people said, you know, when we took this knife to, it was uh, Cabela's, I believe. It's either Cabela's or Bas Cabela's. It was Cabela's. The first year, meaning the, the hoodlum, because of the connotation with hoodlum, you know, instead of, instead of getting Ron Hood, hoodlum, right? Um, Cabela's didn't really want to carry the knife, even though Buck was there with them and, and what have you. Actually, it was one of the guys from Buck that was at the Buck booth that was telling the story. They didn't really want it, but they said, you know, they'd take some in and they would they would put it in the catalog, but they weren't really excited about it. And the next year when they went in, the only thing they wanted to talk about was the punk because the hoodlum sold so well for them. They couldn't wait to get the smaller form factor knife in. I think there's another one uh, they have out now called the Thug that's a pretty cool knife, so they've kind of played off that the whole way. But my favorite in the whole thing is is the punk for that, that do-it-all uh, bushcrafting knife. If you were going to carry a fixed bladed belt knife, I don't for tactical reasons. The Punk is an outdoors knife, and it's a nylon sheath that carries like an outdoor knife, and it really wouldn't be the best thing for that. But if you were to want a knife to use for that, it would be pretty damn cool. It really would. Now, I do have to caution you. Um, in the state of Texas, at least, and we have terrible knife laws in Texas, by the way. Um, this knife's blade is long enough that it would be considered a weapon. And even though with my concealed carry permit, I can carry a gun or two guns, uh, if I were carrying this knife and I were not either, you know, camping, fishing, pursuit of game, something like that, it'd be considered an illegal weapon for me to carry. So I would not carry this knife around uh, town and what have you. Um, so something you got to always check your own laws with. But it'd make a damn good defensive knife. If, if it was, you know, a knife that you could, uh, under reasonable circumstances, carry, uh, given where you are and what you're doing. But I see it again as that bushcrafting knife. If you wanted to spend less money in this world and get a damn good knife that would work both as this working knife, this bushcraft knife that I'm talking about, and be a good tactical knife, K-Bar's Becker BK7 
is probably the best value in that dual purpose range for tactical and uh, bushcrafting and everything in between. Uh, it's used by many military forces. It's it's not the greatest uh, steel. It's a 1095 Crovan, uh, but it's a good steel. Uh, it's a little bit hard to sharpen. It's a hard steel, and that's good for edge retention, but it takes a little bit of effort to get good at sharpening it and keeping a good edge on it, but that could be the same as many. It has a great edge angle. The edge angle is 20 degrees. That's a great kind of all-around angle. It's not that steep, and it's not that shallow uh, that it that will tend to hold its edge very well for you. Um, it's a, a 12-inch knife overall, roughly. I believe it has about a 7-inch blade. weighs about three-quarters of a pound. A little heavier than the Punk, a little longer than the Punk, a little bit longer blade. Um, it is really designed more as a tactical knife, but it makes a great, great bushcrafting knife. Uh, you can look up YouTube videos on it. It's built for military use. You know, K-Bar is known as the Marine Corps knife, the old leather Uh, handled leather washer knife. This is kind of its 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 ancestor, right? This is like this is its grandchild, and it, it's a it's a great knife. I own one of these that I got. I think I got it in barter uh, out at Nick Nick Ferguson's place, and uh, I am extremely impressed with its overall quality as a knife. So if you want to spend a little less than the uh, than the the punk, again these are ninety bucks, and if you wanted something a little more. For the tactical side of things, and then doubling as kind of a bushcraft knife, this would be a better a better knife. Uh, it's going to carry better for that capacity and things. But again, this is a knife that if I carried it for defense in Texas, I'd be carrying an illegal weapon. So always check your own knife laws. Disposable knives, I'll go quick since we're kind of rounding things out here. Um, I've talked about one of these knives before. It is called the Wahoo Killer. W-A-H-O-O -O, Killer Knife. It is really a fish knife. As you might imagine, Wahoos are a type of fish. The other one is called the Ridge Runner. This is a folding version. These are both made by B BUDK knives. Uh, they have a catalog. They sell a lot of good stuff and a lot of junk. These knives are junk price knives that are okay. They're not quite good, but I do consider them disposables. The Wahoo Killer looks like a Mora clone. It has a really nice plastic and rubber handle. And it is a good knife for its intended purpose, which is a kind of a deck fishing knife for cutting bait and things like that. They are a dollar ninety nine a piece at BUDK. They're like six bucks on Amazon Prime. Don't buy them on Amazon Prime. Don't buy them through T-Spaz. Don't support me. If you want to buy these disposable knives, it's not a big deal. Get over to BDUK. I've got links in the show notes and buy them there. The Ridge Runner would be if you wanted a folder for the same type of purpose. These are knives, I buy them like a dozen at a time. I have a special like drawer in my cabinets in the kitchen. I throw them in there. I have one in the map pocket of my truck. I have one in the map pocket of my Forerunner. I have one in my tackle box. I have one in my other tackle box. I have one in my fishing bag. Right? I mean, they're, they're sharp as a razor when you first get them. They hold an edge okay. It's cheap steel, so you can sharpen them with a steel to a razor-sharp edge really, really fast, unless you get them really, really dull where you need to put them on a stone, and then they're $1.99 so you throw them away and replace them. Uh, they come with a sheath that's cheap, but it's kind of like, it's still better than a Mora sheath, honestly, in, in many ways. And, you know, I use them too, like when I have a workshop going on, I have a bunch of people cutting food up or something. I give them those because I don't care if they abuse them. I don't care if they screw them up. They're always there. And they are the better one of the two. 
The Ridge Runner is a stainless steel with kind of a hard rubber insert folder. It looks like a knife, a nice knife. It's okay for a buck ninety nine. But if if you wanted for your map pocket knife, your you know your uh, your uh, your tackle box, whatever, what have you, if you'd prefer a folder in that situation, that's what I would recommend. Disposable knives. I won't go deep into it, but the whole point again is you just don't care what happens to them, but you stash them in places. These I have the same philosophy I do with like the cheap uh, AAA battery aluminum LED flashlights that you can get. Sometimes I have a package of like six of them for twelve bucks at Home Depot or Lowe's. You know, I put one of those in every drawer. I have them hanging on you know doors on the back of door handles and stuff like that. And if, if I'm you know the power goes out. Uh, I'm always reaching for my Streamlight Stylus Pro. That's my little light that I carry. But let's say I'm in my boxers because it's you know it's 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 after it's after dinner and I'm watching TV and I'm having a, a, an adult beverage and you know I, I walk back toward my office and oh the power goes out and my shorts are laying on the floor. Well, I don't happen to have my little Streamlight light, but right on hanging on the back of the door is one of those little cheap aluminum lights, right? And The the batteries are probably worth the price of the, the 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 whole clamshell that you get you know five or six of them in. That's how I view these knives. If if the tackle box gets some water in and the knife gets rusted, I don't care. I just throw it away. But there's always a knife, and I don't care that I always carry knives. That knife's there. It you know it, it I don't care if I'm cutting you know thread thin shad with it. It's getting disgusting. I, I don't necessarily want to do that with you know. My my defensive knife or my neck knife, so that's what those knives are for. And again, they're also the knife when somebody wants to borrow a knife. Here you go, right? How many times have you let somebody borrow your knife and just thought, I don't want this guy using my knife, you know? And all of a sudden he's he's you know dinging up the blade or something. You just don't care. That's that's the purpose of the disposables. But again, Wahoo Killer and Ridge Runner, they're a buck ninety nine a piece. I buy them by the dozen. I mean, twelve knives for twenty four dollars. That's why I use them for their intended purpose. Now, where I found the Wahoo Killer, I was in Fort Myers last year for Sanibel Island, hanging out, and I go out fishing with this guide, and he's cutting bait, and I see this knife, and it looks like a blue-handled mora. So I pick it up, and it says Wahoo Killer. And I'm like, oh. He goes, yeah, they sell them cheap at the bait shops and all around here. That way, if it falls overboard, something like that, you know, we don't care. And, I don't, and he's like, I'm a fishing guide. I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. I work till seven o'clock at night. All, all, you know, during the seven days a week during the busy season, seven months of the year. That's my hours. I don't have time to sharpen knives. He said, when that gets dull, I throw it away and I get another one. I'm like, how much are they? He's like four bucks. So the next time I'm at the bait box on Sanibel, I look and sure enough, there's a whole. They're like four, four twenty-five or four twenty-nine or something like that. I'm like, oh, good. They're cheap. I should maybe pick some up. I'm like, I don't want to fly home with a bunch of knives. I'll check when I get home. I get home, I get an email from a guy. I just found these things, they're $1.99. Uh, you know, it might be good for a good throwaway knife. I click it, it's the same freaking knife on BUK. And I'm like, okay, that's a sign. I ordered, you know, a dozen of them right away. So that's just a, a great throwaway knife with kind of a cool story behind it. And again, in the end, you know, I've talked about knives today that are a couple hundred bucks. I've talked about knives that are $40, $50. Bucks. I've talked about knives that are $2. It's all about the task at hand. That, to me, is what's most important with knives. When people say something like, well, what knife do you want if you're going to risk your life on it? Why are you risking your life on a knife? Where do you get these phrases? You're spending too much time in forums being a forum hero. 
Um, when it comes down to it, any good quality knife, if it's the right knife for the right task, is going to do the job. I'm not afraid to quote-unquote risk my life, whatever you mean by that, with a buck punk, but I'm not afraid to do it with a buck personal. Buck Personal is a nice little hunting knife. I carried one of those for the first five years of my hunting career because this is what my uncle had, and I wanted to be like my uncle, so I went out and got one. You know, I mean, that, that, that knife, I probably gutted and skinned 20 deer with that knife. What, what more can you ask for from a knife? If you can gut, skin, and take a deer apart with a knife, it'll do most of anything you need it to do. You know, Buck makes a good knife. Gerbers make good knives. Custom makers like Patrick make exceptional knives. But in the end, we all have limits in, in budget, space, and time. And we have to decide what works best for the task at hand. And that's how I pick my knives. And that's how I think you should, too. I hope you liked today's show. And if you did and you want to support the show, consider becoming a member of the Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get discounts to over 60 different companies providing things that you're probably buying anyway. And if you use those discounts, I mean, some of the discounts pay for the, the whole membership for the first year. Uh, Western Botanicals gives a $50 membership for free if you're a member of the MSB. That gives you 25% off all of the stuff they sell. If you use a lot of herbal supplements, I mean, that, that alone pays for it. And then you can renew it for $25 thereafter instead of $50. So that's a great deal, and that's one discount. Um, Safe Castle Royal has everything for your prepping needs. You hear about them all the time on the show. They have a discount buyer's club. It's 49 bucks. Free to MSB members, lifetime membership. Those two memberships are worth 100 bucks on a $50 membership, and you still have another 60-odd companies that you can get discounts from. I mean, seeds, gardening tools, tactical, practical, everything in between. I've got those discounts for you. You're spending the money, any, the money anyway, so consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Get your money back and support the show. The other way you can support me is by shopping uh, our links on Amazon today. Every knife that I mention has a link. Most of them have a link to Amazon. If you buy one of those knives through Amazon, I get you know, I get credit for the sale. But let's say you need doggy diapers, like like one of you guys bought. Um, you go to tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, click the link to go to Amazon, do your shopping on Amazon like you would do anyway. Just Just buy anything you want. And when you do that, you help support my show because I get credit for your sales no matter what you buy. Um, for your... Uh, Review today, though, I put up a sh uh, an item every day for review. I have a Hamilton Beach electric kettle. I think every kitchen needs to have an electric kettle, and if you're a prepper, even more so, because you're making things like uh, herbal decoctions and infusions and things like that. Great way to boil water. I make mead with mine. I boil eggs with mine. I use it every day for coffee and tea. They cost about $26 bucks if, you'll, if you'll buy the gray one. Uh, so that's reviewed for you today. And uh, you know how you boil eggs with an electric kettle? You take your eggs, you put four eggs will fit in the bottom of the electric kettle, so you fill it about half with water first. That makes the eggs set down and they don't crack on you. You set your eggs in the bottom of the kettle, you put the kettle on the little base, you click the thing for it to boil. When it goes click and clicks off because it turns off automatically, you start a timer for 12 minutes. After 12 minutes, you take the kettle, you dump the water out, you rinse it with some cool water, you pull your eggs out, they're perfect. Why does that work better in a kettle than a pot? Because in a pot, the heat is underneath, And the egg heats on the bottom faster than the top, and the egg actually gets hotter than a 212 degrees. Electric kettle hits, heats all around the sides, and it's insulated. That's why it's more efficient. And that means the water comes up the temperature more rapidly and more evenly. You don't get hot spots on your eggs. You get a perfectly boiled egg. Add a little bit of vinegar to the water, and you will get them to peel even better 
That's an example of the little education I bury in my Amazon reviews that I put out every day. You can find those as well by going to T-Spaz. And every time you shop on T-Spaz, you support the work I do at the Survival Podcast, and I thank you for it. And last but not least today, I have a song for you guys. I don't, I'm not going to go deep into the meaning of this song because it doesn't really have one. Um, but I loved John Cougar when I was growing up. Now I know he's John Mellencamp now or John Cougar Mellencamp or John Mellencamp Cougar, whatever. But when he came out with the album that this, uh, this song was on, he was John Cougar. And so that's what I'm going to call him today. And this song, I bet everybody here has heard it. And if you haven't heard it because you're young, you've probably heard uh, people rip off little riffs of it in modern pop and kind of um, uh, dance music and stuff like that, rap music. It's called Jackie and Diane. Uh, I can't remember what the song is, but I think it's a song by Jessica Simpson. It has this one part in it goes like that. And I remember when it first came out, my son, I'm like, that's Jackie and Diane from like 1984. And he's like, no, you couldn't believe it. Did that even happen in music? So I like, you know, dust off the, the old tape deck case back then. This is like, this is the 90s when that, those were still around, like blow dust off it and go out to the truck and pop the thing in. And he hears it. He's like, oh my God, right? So Jackie and Diane. Now, what I actually loved about this song is this song is quintessentially what it was like for those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, kind of raising ourselves. We were the generation that did that. And if you listen to this song, you'll, you'll hear that. And it also talks about kind of that carefree days of youth. And there's a line in it that says, uh, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Right? And if you think about that, that's true for so many people. Life goes on. Like when you're a teenager, you don't give a shit about anything. You know, especially if you kind of grew up in a small town and you weren't worried about getting into the best college and you were hanging out with your buddies and driving around in fast cars and chasing girls and stuff like that. You know, like all the stuff this song kind of embodies. Um, you know, you, you can think of it that way, that, that the thrill of living is gone. But for me, man, I had some great times as a teenager But I wouldn't trade anything for what I have right now. My thrill of living is better than it's ever been. And I think that's because I know what I do matters. You know, and I don't just mean my work with the show. I mean what I try to tell you guys. The, 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 the last tenant in my, my 12 part survival philosophy, what you do matters. What you do has an impact on others and things around you. If you keep that in mind, you can live responsibly and pay the bills and do all those things, but still have joy in your life. And the thrill of living, can go on as long as you can fog a mirror. That's my plan anyway. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Kids growing up in the heartland. Jackie gonna be a football star. Diane's debutante backseat of Jackie's car. Sucking on chili dog outside taste freeze. Diane sitting on Jackie's lap, got his hands between the knees. Jackie say, hey, Diane, let's run.